Nike puts out like a rainbow check mark. Right. Basically, the end of the day, they're still trying to sell shoes. Yeah. Same thing that they've been doing for years. They're still selling the same products. They're just trying to, I guess, like, hey, we like the gays. Yeah. We like <laughs> the blacks. Like, right. woo. But at the end of the day, when it comes to, um, you know, Burger King and KFC and all these other um, mainstream companies make more vegan foods is that they're producing vegan foods yeah. that people are going to buy in lieu of the non-vegan version. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we have uh, another amazing guest, Marissa Soltoff. And today she's going to come talk to us about veganism. And this is one topic that both DeAndre and I, we're not vegans. So in terms of the, the, you know, the theme of the podcast, I'm the villain and like things that society is wrong about this is definitively I feel like most of the time on this podcast we're like oh yeah let me tell you all the things you're wrong about you know (laughs) and this is one of the ones that we're definitively probably wrong about (laughs) yeah I was telling Marissa before we turned the mics on that exactly that like I haven't really gone into an episode just knowing that I'm on the wrong side of things before um so I'm still honestly not sure how I'm gonna approach this conversation but I'm excited uh, <laughs> Marissa, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, Marissa, um, I've been vegan for four and a half years, so not super long, but um, I am only 22, so I went vegan when I was 18. I have a vegan-themed tattoo. It's clearly something that I'm really passionate about, and um, I think it's one of the best decisions that I've personally ever made, and I'm really happy with it. Wait, what's the tattoo? Uh, <laughs> it's on my thigh. It says do no harm with like the M going down into like the vegan V symbol like that you see on food packages and stuff. It was my first tattoo. I just like went all in. I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is great. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So, so why did you go vegan when you were 18? It was weird. Um, So I was vegetarian when I was younger for several years um, for animal, like, you know, for for the animals, basically. Um, And then, like, as I got a little older, when I was, like, 17, I was, like, having some, like, weirdness with food. So I kind of, like, for, like, either, not, I didn't forget, but I, you know, tried not to think about the ethics of animals and just kind of went back to eating, like, meat. And then um, I was working at a a natural, like, organic grocery store, and I worked in a bakery, and I was just eating lots of cakes every day, and I was like, well, how can I not eat the cakes every day? I'll go vegan. This was, it's, it's, it's weird. (laughs) It's a really weird (laughs) story. It's like, how, I'll I'll just go vegan. That way I can eat, like, the vegan cakes that we get, because it's a, organic grocery store so we we did get like vegan cakes sometimes it's like I can eat those cakes sometimes but I can't just be eating cake for eight hours at a time when I'm working um and then you know as I was like doing more research about going vegan and like vegan foods to eat um you know the the ethical implications also you know really formed in my head you know with the animals with the environment um and it just became it wasn't just like okay, I'll just like eat this, I'll just, you know, I won't just go vegan just to have healthier food to eat, but I'll go vegan because, you know, there's actual impact that I could be doing. And, you know, I 
make a conscious decision to not support industries that I believe are are unethical. But yeah, it was a really weird origin. <laughs> so, uh, previ- previous to you going vegan, would you say that you're, you were someone that really, really enjoyed like meat, cheese, milk, dairy products? Um, meat, not not so much. Um, I liked, um, you know, more more processed meat foods, like with more uniform textures, so like chicken nuggets, um, you know, hamburgers, um, mm. you know, chicken fingers, fish sticks, Yeah, you didn't like, like fuck with bones or anything like that? Oh, or? no, no, no. I never liked um, like wings or like chicken legs, like if there's, or uh, seafood where you had to like take the shells off. Like if it had, like, if basically if it was like really like reminiscent of an animal, I was just like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Like, I don't want any of that. Um, dairy and cheese, I loved. Like when I was younger, that's pretty much all I would eat. My skin was terrible <laughs> from, as a result. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, cheese and dairy is something that's like, that's something I really, really like. That was probably the hardest thing for me, giving up. Whereas, you know, I was never into steak or anything like that. So that part wasn't hard. But mm. the cheese thing, yeah. <laughs> so I assume that a lot of our listeners know why, like, being vegan is good for the environment. But I think it's safe to assume that not everybody might know that. So do you want to sort of lay down a groundwork of like why not consuming animal products is overall better for the environment and the earth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So a lot of of people don't necessarily know or like think about is the effect um, that animal agriculture plays in the environment. Um, For one thing, it's a really big contributor to air pollution. Basically, there's a lot of methane released when it comes to animal agriculture. Basically, yes, like cow farts. Um, That as well. Also, the transport of these animal products, you know, with the trucks all over the place, um, really, you know, contributes to to air pollution. The factory farms themselves release a lot of air pollution in the production of just just running these, you know, the the farms. Um, Also, there's, you know, not just air pollution, also contributes to water pollution as well. Um, basically a lot of the sewage from the, the animal agriculture farms ends up in a lot of local water supplies, um, you know, from like the feces, the runoff, the, all the fun stuff that comes with a slaughterhouse, um, you know, just basically pools, especially with large quantities that animal agriculture creates. There's just such a large amount of animals, um, being farmed for food production. And a lot of these, you know, the secondhand fluids uh, end up in local water supplies. Um, It's hazardous to human health, uh, it's hazardous to the environment, um, and it's also just not the most efficient use of land and water. Um, A lot of vegans will bring up the fact that the land that we use to not only have these, the the farms where the the cows and the livestock, you know, live, um, but also the amount of land used for growing the animal feed, you know, all the crops that the cows, the pigs, the chickens eat. Um, it's not the most efficient use of resources because that land could be used to just grow food that people would just eat directly rather than having it go through, you know, the animals first and then, you know, use it uses more calories to feed the cows and then we end up getting, you know, less of the calories overall because so much was, you know, utilized in feeding the cows. So it's just not efficient use of land, um, water pollution, air pollution, etc. 
Yeah. And so you explained why you were originally getting into veganism. And I'm curious now for you what your relationship is, is if it's more of a moral thing, if it's more of a health thing, you know. Um, so for me, it's definitely uh, about ethics at this point. I love vegan Ben and Jerry's ice cream and vegan chicken nuggets. I think that's delicious and it's a big part of my life. Um, but yeah, I do believe that also from an argument standpoint, um, that ethics is the most compelling argument that we really have. Um, a lot of a lot of vegans will mention that like, you know, it's the healthiest way to live. It, go vegan, you will be automatically healthier. Um, and that can be true, I believe it can be. But all the scientific evidence says is that, you know, you don't have to be vegan to be healthy. You can have a healthy diet that also includes limited amounts of animal products. As long as you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of whole grains, um, protein, you know, you can still be not vegan and have a healthy lifestyle, but you also can be vegan and have a healthy lifestyle. So I believe, you know, it's, it can be good for people um, if they're looking to, you know, reduce their meat consumption for health reasons. But ultimately the, the ethical argument is the most compelling because, you know, there's, fewer holes in that argument um, when it comes to ethics. Interesting. Yeah. I have been thinking about that from just of all, there's all kinds of things you can make an ethical argument about, not even necessarily with respect to food, but like, you know, with, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of, uh, you know, like slave labor that goes into making a lot of the clothes that we wear and like, you know, the, I don't know, like the furniture, like, and, and, you know, there's all the stuff going on the Amazon right now. How, do you prioritize, right? Because there's so many of these different issues going on. There's all kinds of like, it's almost like by nature of being a consumer in our economy, especially in America, how, it's hard to get away from, to truly have this, you know, this notion of quote unquote, like ethical consumption. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that completely. Um, as we were talking about earlier, there's so many, so many, un, so much injustice in the world that it's, as much as we would like to not contribute to any of it, a lot of it's just so hard, if not impossible, to avoid. Um, so the way I see it in my mind is that, you know, when it comes to meat and animal products, obviously you know that the animal was was killed for this because it's, it's right there. You can see it <laughs> um, on, on your plate. Whereas when it comes to things like clothes and furniture, there's that kind of you, you cognizant knowledge that there was probably some suffering in this, like involved in the making of this product. But it is harder to really, it's harder to trace. Um, you know, it's harder to, to trace the clothes that you're buying to the, the source, to, you know, the country that they were made, to, to the facility they were made in. You know, was it a sweatshop? Who exactly was making it? Um, what were the conditions, what were the, the motives of the people going to work in, in this facility to make these clothes or this product? Did they have no other option? Was this the, the, the highest paying job available to them? You know, there's just so many variables that we don't know. Um, that doesn't make any of it, you know, better or more okay, but it just, it's just there's more deeper levels to it than there is to, um, you know, avoiding animal products in, in my mind, at least. But how do you decide, right? There are some things that you're not going to do 
because you know it's immoral, right? And is it literally, does it literally just come down to how difficult it is and how much it affects your actual lifestyle? That's another thing um, I, I think, you know, you, you need clothes, <laughs> you need to put furniture in your house. Right. You, but you, you need don't to need buy meat. Exactly. You can eat other things. So it's also what's the most practical for your personal life. Like we can't, you can't necessarily, you can, but it's very hard for a lot of people to, to make their own clothes, to grow the materials for those clothes and mm -hmm. make products themselves and make sure that it's all 100% ethical. Whereas it is easier to just avoid meat. <laughs> right. And this is like, honestly, I think one of the biggest points of dissonance in my identity. It's just like, cause I, um, I would say that I became aware of how terrible like the meat and animal food product industry was maybe like five years ago. And at that point I was like, damn, like I know all this stuff. And I found it actually very compelling when I was like viewing the content and like watching videos and I was like, yeah, I just, I really like animal products and, <laughs> and, but in preparation for this conversation, I've been thinking about it more again, because I feel like it's really easy to just like recognize it at one point and then just kind of shove it into the back of your mind that you're doing wrong um, or that you're like actively harming the planet. But in preparation for this episode, we were kind of messaging back and forth and you brought up this idea of reductionarianism, which I had never heard of before. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, reductionarianism is the idea that just, you know, eating less is making an impact. And it's something that I fully support um, when, you know, my non-vegan friends tell me that they're making a conscious effort to eat less. Um, if they, you know, I've heard people say, oh, I'm, I'm eating less meat now. I've started buying almond milk instead of cow milk eating more fruits and vegetables. I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic. Pretty much every vegan would love for the entire world to just go vegan. That would be great. <laughs> right. That would be the ideal. But it's not based in reality. It really isn't. I, I wish it was, but it's not. And we need to really think about what is most feasible for most people to do mm -hmm. and what is really going to make uh, as much of an impact as we possibly can in the reality that we live in. And I believe that, you know, eating less animal products and being more conscious of where our food comes from is a great way for that to happen until lab-grown meat gets on the market, which I cannot wait for that day to come. Um, <laughs> I truly believe it's the future. But until that really takes off, I think just in encouraging and inspiring people to eat fewer animal products is, is the way to go. So have you had the Impossible Burger yet? I have. It's delicious. <laughs> so there's a funny story that me and Isabel have associated with this. So me, Isabel, and two of our friends, when the Impossible Burger had hit, like I think founding farmers. That's where I had it. Yeah. Yeah, founding farmers over in somewhere in DC. Um, Foggy Bottom. There you go, in Foggy Bottom. I, I live there. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so me, Isabel, and like two of our two or three of our friends went to the restaurant, and we were like, "Yo," because I felt I was like watching those content about the Impossible Burger on YouTube and stuff. And every person, I saw people that ate meat being like, yo, this is a great alternative. It's really hard to tell. And so we went to Founding Fathers and we, <laughs> we were very scientific about this. We got three Impossible Burgers and three regular burgers and different variants of the burgers that they had. And we did like blind taste tests at the table. And yeah, it was good. 
I mean, I, I, I'm, I really obviously. Could you tell the difference between the impossible and the okay? Because I, I couldn't obviously. I could I not. <laughs> I could. I have absolutely. I have like very, very unrefined sense of taste. Oh, same. <laughs> so I just like <laughs> could not either. tell. I also <laughs> haven't had real beef in in years, so like I, it has been a while. I couldn't really gauge properly, but I was wondering that. Yeah. Um, I think I only. I think I got one wrong. One out of the three taste tests wrong, which is. That's a third. Damn good. And, <laughs> yeah. And the ones that I got right, I was like, this is good. I just know it's not meat. Right. But it was like, I was like doing a thought experiment in my head and I was like, yo, if I had to eat this instead of like burgers for the rest of my life, I'd be fine with that. You know, like they were, and I wouldn't even say it was a taste thing. I would say that it was just lacking this like sort of like very underlying sense of like iron and like grease that's hard to replicate from an animal, mm-hmm. which I don't really think is essential to a meat eating experience that's fair but um that was just an aside i was like i just i just remember that we did the impossible burger taste test yeah um and i don't know if you heard but burger king now has impossible burgers impossible like whoppers at i think every location um in the country which i think is fantastic um and i don't know if you also heard like uh, the other week uh, there's a KFC in Atlanta that came out with vegan fried chicken, like, um, and the line for the drive-through wrapped around the building twice. Like, <laughs> uh, it was wow. it was so popular. They sold out in in a few hours because so, so many people were like willing to try it. I think that's so cool. Yeah, and um, I think it's it's really inspiring that you know it goes to show that you know these as as the fake meats get more and more popular and. Ultimately, when lab-grown meat becomes, you know, available on the market, a lot of people are going to be in favor of it. And a lot of people are going to be willing to support it. And I think that's just amazing. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the social piece of it, too, because I have, you know, I've been part of that vegan group. So I, I made this post in this vegan group, which is how we found Marissa, um, to talk, like, you know, just uh, to find people who wanted to talk about veganism. And I do, like, this is, I think, that's kind of maybe a part of a lot of groups that form on kind of a moral basis, is that how does one, especially, like, you know, if you're, if you're first trying to get into veganism, deal, like, it's a, it can be a very vitriolic community at a lot of times, right? And I'm curious as to what your thoughts are around, like, there's a lot of shaming that goes on, there's a lot of sort of, like, piling on people, and I know that that's, maybe inevitable but i'm like i feel like that's also kind of a blocker for people absolutely um so there's the stereotype of uh the the angry preachy vegan and it exists for a reason (laughs) because a lot of a lot of vegans can be very preachy and judgmental um and i i do see both sides to it on the on the one hand like as a fellow vegan like i do empathize with the fact that they're very frustrated with the current system that we live in, with the fact that animals are being killed every day and a lot of people just don't seem to care. Um, so I, I do absolutely understand where they're coming from, but also I understand that most people are not vegan and yet most people are, are great people. Most people are, are genuinely good people that don't deserve to have some some jerk head, you know, um, in their face, make, you know, judging them and shaming them about their, their choices that they make. The group that you mentioned, like the Facebook group, there is a lot of toxicity. There is a lot of negativity. Um, a lot of posts will have people commenting, you know, not like necessarily terrible things, but just 
unnecessarily negative things. Um, for instance, like last year, one of my friends um, posted in the group about like, you know, he, he had to give up his cat. Like he couldn't take care of his cat anymore. And he was asking like, is anyone, do you know anyone that's willing to take care of my cat or take my cat in? And a lot of people were, you know, shaming him for having the audacity to, to give up his cat. Um, it's like, oh, moving is not a good excuse to give up your cat. You know, would you give up your child if you were moving? It's, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> it's just, it, there's a lot there. And then when a lot of people post, um, make posts about, you know, co uh, companies like Burger King and KFC and other companies coming out with, um, you know, vegan meat products, a lot of people are, you know, kind of spitting on it and just like, oh, like this company isn't vegan. So like, don't go there, don't support them. Or, um, you know, this, this product is GMO, bad for you, unhealthy. It's like, rather than seeing the good that results from non-vegan companies making vegan products and therefore bringing veganism into the mainstream, mm -hmm. which we really need, um, people are just nitpicky and finding all kinds of issues with things. Um, and that's really isn't the way to go. And it's not a good way to make veganism or like eating more vegan foods or reducitarianism um, palatable for the mainstream population. And I just think that's really, you know, it's it's detrimental to the cause. It's not helping anything yeah. if you're going to just be all holier than thou on people. Um, it, it really is counterproductive. I think I see a really strong analogous to what you're talking about, about like sort of in your like vegan insular group, people like kind of spitting on like non-vegan companies, like obviously just marketing to vegans. I think we see a lot of that sort of same mentality when like companies are like blatantly um, like marketing. to like LGBT people during pride month or like start running like African-American focused ads during black history month and like shit like that. Um, and I, I thought a lot about specifically during like, during Black History Month this year and like during Pride Month this year about like how I felt about that. And I think the conclusion that I kind of came to was similar to what you were saying, which is like, yeah, it might be watered down, you know, like it might not be the essence of whatever the movement is that they're trying to pander to and the company might have some contradictions within itself. But I do think that because we live in, you know, a somewhat terrible capitalist society, like the true mark of something becoming more integrated and more mainstream is when companies start marketing to that, to that population. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Um, so, but I do think, think that there's a, a slight difference between, you know, pandering towards LGBT people and people of color mm -hmm. and making more vegan products. And that's basically like what the, you know, when Nike puts out like a rainbow check mark, right. basically at the end of the day, they're still trying to sell shoes. Yeah. Same thing that they've been doing for years. They're still selling the same products. They're just trying to, I guess, like, Hey, we like the gays. Yeah. We like <laughs> the blacks. Like, right. woo. But at the end of the day, when it comes to, um, you know, Burger King and KFC and all these other um, mainstream companies making more vegan foods is that they're producing vegan foods yeah. that people are going to buy in lieu of the non-vegan version. Right. And that's going to have more of a positive impact on the environment, on the animals, whereas you know, with the other companies, the product is still the same. They're sure. just marketing it differently. So I do think that similar to what I think what kind of you were outlining, I do think that the key to making more people like be vegan is making it, I guess, more convenient in a sense to be vegan. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that we're starting to do that with like, you know, putting vegan foods on the market, like what, what you were saying with KFC. Do you think that like that's kind of I, because I, I really feel like that's the key. Like, I feel like people aren't going to do it because unless it's convenient and like kind of easy. And do you think that that is what has to happen in order for the majority of people to just stop eating meat or reduce greatly reduce the amount of uh, meat being eaten? Absolutely. Um, I think on a on a philosophical level, like veganism is for everybody. Um, you know, I it doesn't matter, you know, where you're from, your background, you know, your politics, anything like that. I, I, I believe that anybody can be vegan um, or, you know, on a philosophical level. I know there's like other issues that can get in the way of people being vegan. A lot of it is related to class. A lot of it is related to the food production system that it makes, you know, um, non-vegan or vegan foods, non, you know, foods that aren't animal products, much more expensive. Um, food deserts that, you know, prevent people from accessing healthy foods or, you know, foods that aren't fast food or things like that. Um, but on a mental level, I guess, I think, you know, veganism needs to be more accessible to everybody. Um, the, the stereotypes of, you know, the white upper class yogi vegan needs to, needs to be broken because there are vegans from all over the world, vegans from all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic statuses, all different races, religions. There's, you know, vegans from pretty much every background you can think of, and it needs to be, you know, promoted more so that more people are inspired to make that kind of positive change in their life. Oh, if this person can, you know, eat less meat or eat less animal products and they have a similar background as me, maybe I can too. I think that's really interesting because there's a friend of mine who went vegan a couple years ago and he made a bunch of Facebook posts about it that I found really interesting because he was Puerto, he is Puerto Rican and his family, there's a lot of Puerto Rican foods that where, where meat is very foundational. And I think it was really, really difficult for him. Like his family like told him he was being a traitor to his culture. Like he was 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 pretty much ostracized by his family for doing that because he was like it was seen as being a contradiction between his culture and his health. And he was like, Look, my aunt just died at 54, right? And part of the reason is because, yeah, we have these ethnic foods. They're not healthy. They're literally what's killing us, right? And for him, it was this super political issue. And so I feel like, especially when you have that intersection of of that cultural background, when you have, you know, uh, there are some cultures that are super, you know, like Indian cultures where veganism is not contradictory at all, right? But I feel like in a lot of those, you know, maybe South American and like other cultures, it's hard to square that with seeing food as being such an important part of who you are and your like your heritage. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, I think that's really unfortunate that that happened to your friend. Um, I mean, like even my family thinks I'm weird. <laughs> like, um, I have half my family is like Italian. Um, and, you know, whenever I go to visit, and like they're all like making like you know meatballs and like chicken parm and things like that and they're just like why are you so weird um but it's not the same i don't think as you know someone from like maybe an immigrant family or um like your friend is puerto rican i don't think it's it's the same and in that way i'm i'm very fortunate um but it does make me really sad when i hear 
things like that because you know there are as few as they may be there are puerto rican vegans there are people um from different lots of different cultures maybe they grew up in the u.s maybe not but that are vegan or that are vegetarian or that want to reduce their animal uh, product intake and you know they should be allowed to you know promote maybe veganizing um you know cultural dishes you know cultural like you know cuisines and making those dishes um either more vegan friendly or you know vegetarian maybe um and i i do think that veganism is becoming more popular all over the world like even in in china um where i was i was there last summer and i found meat in my food so many times even after like explaining to the waitstaff in chinese that you know like can i have this without meat like i'm vegetarian they were like oh yeah, yeah yeah and then i would get my food and it would have like ground pork in it and i'd be like what the hell yeah um but even in china i did see there were two vegan restaurants in shanghai that i did like have the experience of going to so even then like it's it's possible and it is becoming more of a mainstream thing more so in the u.s and in like the western world but even in in other countries um it is becoming at least slowly but surely into the mainstream and i i do truly believe that you know we need people from all different backgrounds all different countries all different cultures to be um having a presence maybe online maybe on social media of how they can combine their cultural background with a more sustainable and ethical way of eating. Like, I believe those things can absolutely be mixed and should be mixed. Well, let me throw it back at you, DeAndre, right? You were saying, what's it going to take to go for people to go vegan? You can buy vegan burgers now. And, like, you can it, – it, it, is, it is largely convenient right now, right, to get a lot of those meat alternatives, right? Beyond Meek's stock, like, soared, like, 8,000% this year, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And – I want to ask you, like, literally, like, you especially because there's that cultural piece, right? You're from the South, right? Barbecue's a huge thing. Even if they came out with vegan barbecue. Oh, they have it, right? Check out New Vegan on Georgia yeah. Avenue. Yeah. It's, uh, like, it's delicious. Soul food, Southern, like, comfort food. It's delicious. Mac and cheese, wings. So good. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's the, that's the thing. Is it, it is convenient now. I disagree. I don't think it's convenient. I think that... So... I think there, and Marissa, you got you actually kind of opened the doors for this conversation. I'm really glad you did. I think there's like a really big um, class component to it that a lot of like, especially my like my Southern Black people have to deal with, which is like, um, like oftentimes, especially meat substitutes, I feel are like expensive and and are not very accessible culturally. I think is a big deal. Um, uh, but like I don't know, I'm not gonna sit here and say it's like it's not possible. Obviously, like the the products are available, but also, yeah, I do find that they tend to be like more expensive on the market, and that being able to eat, not even vegan, I think being able to eat healthy, is a privilege, right? Like, I um like I didn't grow up in a food desert, but I spent some time in New Orleans doing like food access work, and it's like so wild how much of that city just is not within any kind of walking distance or like public transit distance to like a source of fresh food, you know? So I think the, the question of what will it take for me to go vegan, because I'm a, I'm a person that 
has a lot of privilege, even as, you know, a Southern black guy, like I, I make decent money now. I have like access to all these things. I live in a metropolitan area. I don't live in a food desert. It's different from the question of what will it take for a lot of people that look like me and come from where I come from to go vegan. Um, but to answer your question directly of what will it take for me to go vegan, I don't know. I mean, I do think that even though I'm not in the South anymore, I do still feel like the sort of like cultural compelment to eat meat. But I do really, really, really want to sincerely eat less meat. So I don't know if like veganism is in my future. I am in many ways, unfortunately, like a slave to the market. And it's really hard for me to go into a grocery store and like justify buying something that is more expensive for a cheaper option. Like maybe like like a vegan like chicken substitute is more expensive than like mass produced chicken. But I also have like outside of talking about like veganism, I also have like really big problems with like the big chicken industry, right? For obvious reasons. Um, so to answer your question as well, I think that for me to go vegan, I don't know. I think that, yeah, I think that like maybe it is just like convenience or like cultural shift or like a whole a whole like a uh, like a a combining factor of those things, or maybe it's just like me pulling the trigger and deciding that, like, and putting what I want, like what I enjoy, behind like what's best, you know, for the the world, which I feel like I do in some cases, and I definitely don't do in this case. But I feel like this is like probably the most tangible way to make a change in your life. Basically, convenience culture. Everyone's full of shit. Like, it's only gonna happen. People are only gonna be moral if it's easy. Yeah, I mean, like that's Amazon, right? <laughs> like, um, like yeah. everyone knows Amazon sucks, but we all but we still get buy stuff delivered shit. to our house in <laughs> we two days. In two great. days. Um, but also, like as it relates to meat substitutes, I could just like not buy meat substitutes either, right? I could just like eat vegetables. You could. It's not as fun. Um, it isn't as fun. But it is like even foods cheaper than meat itself: beans, right? Rice, potatoes. Does it sound like a fun diet? No, um, <laughs> not at all. Is, is it? Is it food? Like, can you live on it? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And it is very cheap. So if someone, you know, is on a very limited budget, that is an option. Um, you did bring up some really, really good points that I'm also really passionate about. And that is like food insecurity, food deserts, class barriers to right. even before going, even going vegan, but at least adopting even a healthier lifestyle, like eating more fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, and that's partially, like mostly on a systemic level, the fact that, you know, soy, corn, wheat, animal products are subsidized by the government, whereas fruits and vegetables are not. They're <laughs> more, making them more expensive and less accessible to a lot of people. Um, that's nobody's, nobody's fault. You, 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 if right. you're poor, that's, that's not your fault. Like you're just, you have a very un unfortunate set of circumstances and the system isn't helping you right. in, that, in that aspect. Um, and there are a lot of initiatives that you know, people are trying to um, incorporate more in, in these areas like community gardens. Um, I can't think of any names off the top of my head, but there are organizations in DC that will go to DC like, greens. Yes. Yes. DC really greens. Yeah. That will go to like, you know, ward seven and eight and with like delivering food and, you know, bring the healthy food to people that can't go out and get it for themselves. Right. I think that's great. But ultimately like we need the, the system to really change. We need to, you know, move those subsidies away from right. animal agriculture and more towards fruits and vegetables, healthy produce, making it more accessible to everybody. Yeah. Isabel and I were talking about how like veganism as a movement 
is like it very much has this sort of mentality i think behind it that similar to like voting where like a lot of people look from the outside in and are like like even if i don't eat any meat like what's it gonna change you know and i feel like people feel similarly about voting like my vote's not like my one vote's not gonna count but i guess because i believe that everyone should vote i have to believe the other thing too but i think that like this gets into a good question of like like do you like does demand force the market or does like supply force the demand you know like like is it gonna take a lot of people and consumers screaming at big food producers that like yo this is what we want we want vegan options we want like cheaper convenient vegan options um and i think that my inclination is probably yes um so i believe that demand fuels supply yeah. um the the you know the, the phrase the customer is always right well that doesn't give that that, was, that phrase wasn't invented to give people at restaurants the authority to to be jerks um that was the guy that coined the phrase um did so because the idea is that demand fuels supply if customers want something they are in yeah. the right and they will, Companies get it. will make it exactly so it's it's less about um you know yelling at food producers hey we want this because at the end of the day if their sales of these animal products are either are up or the same, they're going to keep doing it because that's what's really bringing in the money. It doesn't really matter what a small group of, of lobbyists are going to tell them or scientists or just vegans online. It doesn't really matter because if their sales are the same, they're going to keep producing it because, you know, there's no incentive for them not to. They're not, companies are not moral authorities. Um, they're just trying to, to you know, generate business. Yep. Um, so whereas if their sales in like you know, animal products are, are down, that's when they're going to really have that kind of like wake up call, you know, right. um, if there's, you know, market trends, um, these big companies have people whose entire job is to look at market research and, and, you know, determine what the trends are, what do right. people want, what is going to really bring in sales. And ultimately the market is what determines what these companies are going to be producing. Yeah. And I do really think that like, yo, right now you can go to McDonald's and get a double, like, a double cheeseburger for, like, a dollar and 20 cents, right? And, like, obviously we've talked about the way that class intersects with veganism in a way that, you know, is hard to overcome for a lot of people. But even beyond that, right, like, I think the average American is like, yo, this double cheeseburger costs a dollar and 20 cents. So, like, I'm wondering, like, is it going to take, like, a vegan burger at a dollar and 20 cents to really, like, make this change? But I do want to talk about um ethical ways to eat meat and i know we already sort of touched on like eating like less meat it's just already a really good um a really good way to sort of st sort of start down that path do you have thoughts knowledge about like so ethical sourcing and like is it better to buy meat from a farmer's market than it would be to buy from a grocery store um so i mean full disclosure i am i'm quite biased because at the end of the day like even meat from like a small farm is still like cows that are yeah, dying right um i i don't have the the figures in front of me but i did read that um on an environmental level small independent farms are actually worse for the environment than the large-scale <laughs> damn <ones>. um, <laughs> you hate to see I, that <laughs> I um i mean i guess i mean it really depends on, i guess what your ethics are if you would if you personally feel more comfortable giving your money to a family-run farm rather than like right. Tyson, um, then I guess that would be a more ethical situation for you. If like animals, if, if you don't really care about animals and a lot of people don't, and that's fine. 
um, you know, environmental also aside, if if what I have read is is true, which I can't verify. Um, but basically, yeah, like if you if you value, um, you know, local farmers, local family run farms, right, then you're going to want to give your money to them. Rather you shouldn't than convolute a, a yourself and be like, yo, exactly. buying from a farmer's market is like kind of a step towards veganism. Like it's not right. Don't, don't be, don't be thinking like, <laughs> Ooh, grass fed beef. That's basically like going <laughs> vegan. Like, cause you're, you're really not, you're, you're just placating yourself at that point. Right. The takeaway seems to me to be that it's really like any of these moral issues, right? It's going to take a lot of work for consumers right and consumers are the the group that's a lot harder to make collective decisions because we're we're hard to coordinate exactly right to really make a push but i think that the the optimistic side of that is that we have made a lot of changes specifically our generation has has i think is really why you know these companies are making these meat alternatives right is because there's clearly demand and so I mean, just like voting, hopefully like that, that is really like the the most frustrating thing is that people are so apathetic about these things that require collective action. Right. Yeah. So I I hope that this kind of ends on on a positive note in the sense that looking at the fact that Beyond Meat was the, the biggest growth, like the highest growth stock of this year. That's insane. Right. I know. That's it's 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 beautiful. I think. Um, it's it's also a really positive indication that, you know, we're making a difference. Yeah. And I think that's I think that it's all that's what we all want. Yeah. It's I think and improve like improve things. I think it's important to recognize that like it's an eventuality, right? It's like it's not an if, it's a when. Like this con- this country and this world's gonna have to stop being so dependent yes. on on uh like conventionally farmed animals. Yeah. Right? Like that's just that's gonna have to happen. That's why I'm so like passionate about like what I believe is the future and that's lab grown meat. Yeah. Um, there are companies, um, you know, not companies, but also like, you know, research institutions currently, you know, trying to find ways to make sure that this is viable for the future. And hopefully, you know, in the next couple decades, it'll be on the market. Um, not, a, not expensive, you know, yeah. if, if basically the same price, hopefully as you know, what meat is today. Right. Um, I, I think that would be fantastic. So a lot of people like, you know, don't like the idea of animals dying for their food but at the end of the day it's like those other things kind of take precedence you know convenience culture personal tastes things like that but i feel like most people if they had the option to have the exact same thing it's still chicken it's still beef oh absolutely it's just like it wasn't killed it was grown in a lab a lot of people would be like yeah that's great if it's the same thing i don't care (laughs) oh i'd be so Um, down for that it would like just completely clear my conscience yeah exactly in a way that i, I might even eat it <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are like are you gonna be vegan for the rest of your life and i say yes unless, <laughs> unless. lab grown meat becomes mainstream and in that case like yeah that's great yeah that'd be dope it just has to taste good man and it can't be too expensive exactly. and then i'll eat it all fucking day <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, thank you. This has been a really great conversation. Oh, I loved it. I'm, as you can tell, like I'm. You can probably hear the excitement in my voice. Like I just, 
I love talking about this. I, I like trying to be like a positive force for for change. A lot of people, they don't want to be lectured. They want to be inspired. And I really want to try to be like that inspiring force that, you know, tries to like inspire people to maybe eat less animal products or even maybe try to like, you know, think twice. You know, what what are the ethical implications, the environmental implications of my choices? I think that's just just where we need to be right now. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us at I'm the Villain Pod on Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, and we are now on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and it, it it only it they only give you two months to get on the new and noteworthy section. So please subscribe and please give us a review because that is what is going to help us get there. Unless it's not five stars, and don't give it to us. <laughs> Five stars or nothing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Peace out.